My name's Eric. My wife's name is Cherry. And she was 26 weeks pregnant with our twin baby boys. Everything was going great. We went in for a regular checkup, and they actually asked us to stay to do some tests. Before they could do those tests the next day, everything just escalated to a crazy, crazy long night. She started to go into labor and having contractions, and they were real worried, so they were just pumping her full of all different kinds of medicines and more and more and waiting, hoping it would work. By the middle of the night, they were realizing it was not getting better. It was only getting worse. By about 4 o'clock in the morning, we were ready to go for our emergency C-section. Such a weird, nervous feeling. I'm dressed head to toe, ready to go out the door, and I finally thought, I better call our parents and let them know what's going on, even though i got to wake them up. When I called them, they did not hesitate to call everyone they know and wake them up and tell them to start praying. And even though I had been praying for a few hours to ask God to help the situation, it seemed like it was only getting worse. But the difference that the whole thing mattered after people started praying with us was amazing. Right after I got off the phone, another doctor walked into the room full of doctors and somehow convinced them to wait just two more minutes. And they kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, fine, if it makes you happy. And in those two minutes, God started to change it in an amazing way. As our community of friends and family was was praying for us, the medicine finally started to work. The doctors in the room were amazed. Minute by minute became hour by hour, and she was able to make it to the next day, and she's actually been able to make it five more weeks. Those five weeks made the biggest difference in the life of our boys. They said at 26 weeks, they probably would have not been born alive, at best to have a lot of complications. Even though they stayed in the ICU for nine weeks, they came home beautiful, healthy baby boys. We can't imagine life without them today. We are just so thankful for our community of Christian friends and family that could pray out to God on our behalf and watch him make a big difference. God is good, isn't he? It's great to hear the stories that we've been listening to or watching these last several weekends of how God is at work in people's hearts and lives. Well, we're in the last uh, message of our series, God Is, and I want to tell you a story. Chuck Swindoll tells this story in his very helpful study in the book of Romans. It's about a baby camel and a mama camel, and they are together, and the baby camel lowers his head to take a little drink of water out of a a pool of water. And as he does so, he sees his own reflection in the water and he notices his eyelashes and he says to his mom, he says, Mama, he goes, why do we have such long eyelashes? And the mom, with some dignity, you know, and sense of pride, says to him, well, honey, that's because we have to travel through the desert and sometimes there are there are sandstorms in the desert and our long eyelashes keep the sand out of our eyes. When other animals have to stop, we can keep going. He then looked back down again and he saw his feet and he looked at his mother's feet and he raised his head up and he said, well, mom, how can we have such wide feet? His mom answered him and said, well, honey, that's because Again, we have to walk through the desert, and there's shifting sands in the desert. And if our feet weren't wide, we would sink in, but our our feet keep us from sinking into that sand. And he reached back down and took another drink, and he saw the humps on his back. And he said, well, Mom, how can we have these humps on our back? His mother very patiently responded and said to him, well, that's... Honey, because many times we have to go through the barren wilderness for days on end and there's no water to drink. And the water that we have taken in is stored in our humps and 
They were able to survive when all the other animals would die. You see, of all the creatures in the desert, we have the greatest eyes. We have the capacity to walk on the loose sand and we can go days and days without water. We can we live the longest life because we are majestic camels. And the little camel looked up to his mama one more time and he asked one last question. He said, Well, mama, then why do we live in a zoo? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like you lived in a zoo? You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we recognize that if we call ourselves Christians that we're supposed to have the Spirit of God living in us. And if that's the case, that the Spirit of God lives in me, then shouldn't that make me dynamic? Shouldn't that cause me to produce great fruit of results and shouldn't I experience God's power but the reality is a lot of times our lives seem very powerless and we seem very unproductive or take us all together think about us as the church the community of believers aren't we supposed to be a a pretty powerful group with Christ indwelling each one of us doesn't the Bible describe us as this force that breaks down the very walls of hell and sets people free from their sin and their shame and their guilt? Aren't we supposed to bring hope bringers into the world? So oftentimes we resemble more of a stale, dry, boring institution. What's missing in our lives? Why is it that oftentimes in our lives we don't realize our God-given potential. In our church, we don't seem to realize our God-given potential. What's missing? Well, I could name a lot of different things that are missing, but I want to focus on one thing in particular as we close out our series, God Is. And this is probably what's keeping a lot of us from experiencing God's fullness in our life and what's keeping a lot of churches from experiencing God's fullness. Why don't you turn with me, if you will, to the letter Paul wrote to the Romans. I think it's like page 860-something if you're using the chair Bible. I encourage you to do that. Turn open Romans chapter 15, and that's where we're going to look together as we close on our series, God Is. And Paul is, is speaking in this, in this letter, and he's about to kind of summarize some things that he's already said. And in verse 14, Paul says, I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is a reminder. For by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. In other words, what Paul is saying is, look, I've written this, this letter to you not to teach you something new necessarily, but I've written this letter to you to remind you of what you already know. The problem is a lot of times we don't practice what we know. And sometimes I find this to be really true in the church with Christians. We want to know more and more and more. If we just practice the little we knew, <laughs> that in itself would be revolutionary, don't you think? It's more than just having knowledge. It's taking what we know and living it out. And Paul's just saying, I kind of wrote you guys this letter to keep you accountable, to remind you to practice what you already know. And then he makes a transition. 
kind of moves on now and begins to talk a little bit about himself and his plans, his future. Verse 16, he says, uh, I bring you good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the Scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in all these places. He's talking about the eastern part of the Roman Empire where Paul has been preaching the gospel over and over and over again. And what he's saying is he closes the letter out as he really wants to come and he wants to be with them in Rome. He'd like to see them face to face rather than just write them a letter. And then he says these words, and this is where we discover that principle that I think is keeping a lot of us in the zoo. It's the living in the wild. An experience that all that God has for us. Listen to what he says. Verse 23, but now I've finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I am eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I'll stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers of Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. As soon as I've delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. That's the second time he said that. And I am sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I'll be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I'm taking to Jerusalem. Then by the will of God, I'll be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be an encouragement to each other. And now may God give you and give us his peace. May God be with you all. Amen. You say, what, what principle did you find in there? Summed up in one word. It's the word partnership. The word partnership. The reason a lot of us are missing out on what God has for us and experience the fullness of God in our lives, in our churches, because we lack partnership. We don't understand what partnership is all about. And as soon as I say partnership, some of you wince and some of you wrinkle your nose because you know what many know, and that is that partnership can be one of the worst things you experience in life. Or it can be one of the best things you experience in life. And yet the truth is, there is a lot of pain that oftentimes goes with partnership. Whether we're talking about partnership in a marriage, partnership amongst our friends, partnership in ministry, or partnership in business. 
There's nothing as great as a healthy partnership, and there's nothing as devastating, as difficult, as heartbreaking, as painful as a bad partnership. And so what happens is, if you've ever been in some kind of partnership and been burned or hurt, the tendency is to say, you know what, I'm going to live in a zoo where I know life is predictable and life is safe and there's very little risk. It is just too risky to partner with other people. You get hurt by that. Have you ever been divorced? Have you ever been in a difficult marriage? or in a difficult friendship, relationship, or had a bad experience in ministry working with others, or had a bad experience in business working with someone in a partnership, you understand what I'm talking about. And yet the problem is when I decide to isolate myself and say, "Uh uh-uh, not me, not partnering anymore, man, I miss out on one of the key principles that leads to experience fullness, vitality, enrichment, hope, and encouragement in my life God never intended for me to live in isolation. God created us to live in partnership. Do you realize that God himself is in a partnership? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity. One divine essence, yet three distinct personalities. Nobody can fully understand the Trinity, but the reality is the Trinity is a perfect partnership between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if God lives in partnership with himself, it just makes sense that in his creation of man, he expects a similarity. He expects a partnership, a partnership with him, a partnership between the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, a partnership amongst creation itself. So how how do we experience good, healthy partnerships? Well, Paul gives us some sense of that in this passage because if you look at this passage, in essence what Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome is, look, I want you guys to partner with me in reaching, in reaching the Western Roman Empire. Let's partner together. See, the believers in Rome were facing difficult times. They were coming into times of persecution. And I don't know about you, but when you face persecution, the temptation is to what? The temptation is to withdraw like a turtle in your shell right? To kind of hide, isolate yourself, turn inwardly. And Paul says, this is not a time to turn inwardly. This is a time to be outward. This is a time to partner together to change the world. Sometimes I worry about Christianity in America today because I think, you know, with the hostility that we're facing in our culture more and more, the tendency for the church is to withdraw, to kind of create a little, little holy huddle and all of us kind of look at each other and how do we preserve and protect ourselves and The result of that is we're not going to make a difference in the world. We're going to miss out on what what God intends for us. Now, to understand partnership better, we're going to go to the board. So grab a a pen or a pencil, a Crayola, and uh, get some paper out. I want to create a little matrix that uh, actually my my good friend Ken uh, and I were talking about this, and he was doing a lesson in, uh, I think it was Laos or someplace like that, and uh, I, I saw what he was doing with this little matrix, and I ripped it off of him. But he's here, so I can give him credit for it, okay? Uh, I'm just going to make it way better. But anyway, uh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, all right? So we're going to do this matrix together. We're going to talk about partnership. And I think you're going to find this very helpful because I want to look at it in terms of several different relationships. So we're going to start by talking about our partnership with God, all right? Because he invites us into partnership. 
I want to talk just a little bit about our partnership in marriage, okay? Because if you're married or or you're ever going to be married, this is a big part of it. Let's talk about partnership and friendship, okay? Because we've all experienced friendships, okay? And and the partnership that goes to that. Then I want to talk about partnership and ministry, okay? Because we do ministry together. And finally, I want to talk about partnership on the bus. Actually, that stands for business. I just ran out of room, okay? How do you know, how do you know if someone or a group of folks are going to be good partners? How do you discern the potential for a good, great partnership versus no way, I am not partnering with him, her, or them because this has disaster written all over it. I want to suggest to you there are several principles you got to look at. The first one is character, okay? You have to look at the character of those that you are going to partner with. When we go to the passage of Scripture, Paul is asking the Christians in Rome to partner with him, partner with their resources, partner with their prayers, partner with their time, partner with their encouragement. I mean, he wants them to totally buy into what he wants to do. They have to ask themselves the question, is Paul a worthy partner. How do you know if somebody is a worthy partner, whether we're talking about God, whether we're talking about marriage, whether we're talking about friendship, whether we're talking about ministry, or we're talking about business? How do you know if somebody is a worthy partner? Well, you look at their resume, okay? You look at their resume. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get that open, all right? And you ask yourself, okay, what kind of life have they lived? Have they proven themselves to be worthy of partnership? Do they have character? And what is character? And there are a lot of definitions. The one I like, the one you probably have heard often is, character is what you do when nobody is watching. Right? Character is what you do when nobody's watching. Character is how you behave in a crisis. We can be really nice until we're in a crisis. And then, boy, in a crisis, you find out what somebody's really thinking and what their character really is like. Right? What was Paul's character like? Well, just take a look at his life. I mean, Paul has, up until now, Paul has gone to the Eastern Roman Empire on three different missions to spread the hope of the gospel. And he's visited all the major cities. He's helped establish churches in all the major cities. And he's turned over those churches to very capable leaders. And most of the churches have been reasonably successful in accomplishing the purpose for which God wants his church to exist. To be a, a uh, redemptive example to those who are in those cities and beyond. Not only that, but Paul has experienced some real hardship. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The guy's been in prison. The guy's been beaten. The guy's been shipwrecked. He's been out on the sea on a night, floating on, you know, on some wood. He's been bitten. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. He's been threatened. I mean, the guy has been through so much. And yet, despite all that he's been through, he's been faithful to God. He has lived his life out sacrificially and as a servant. Man, you look at Paul's resume and you go, he's the real deal. Most people would have given up and quit with that much hassle and that much persecution. But not Paul. 
Paul is the real deal. And Paul, by the way, has assessed their character as well in this passage of Scripture. And he tells us a little bit about them up in verse 14. He says, I know some things about you. He says, I know you're full of goodness. And the Greek there is you're overflowing like a fountain. You're overflowing with kindness. You're overflowing with ethical purity. You're overflowing with a sense of morality is what that means. He says, he says you also have the ability. You, you know you had this knowledge. You could teach these things. You, you have the capacity to take what you know and teach it to others. You have the capacity to take what you know and practice it. And we learn in the first chapters of the book of Romans that Paul says, and I'm also aware of your reputation, your faithfulness is being spoken about in other places of the Roman Empire. So what Paul is saying is, look, he's saying, I've checked you guys out and you guys have tremendous character as well. Wow, what a partnership this could be. We put our character together we both seek to serve the same god we both seek and desire the same thing let's let's partner together you know when i look at god one of the things that's obvious to me is is god god has a holy and perfect character doesn't he where's and and what's his resume by the way if you check god's resume out look at his son the lord jesus christ christ came to earth in human flesh to give us God's resume. Jesus was perfect in his character. And when he faced temptation in the wilderness, did he give in? Did he succumb to temptation, to hunger, the opportunity to have power? No. He refused to, he refused to give in to temptation. He stayed the course. He went to the cross. He died for a greater ideal. And that was to save us. And to please his father. Wow. God, God is a safe and good partner. You know what? How about, how about your spouse? How about you? In fact, let's not focus on your spouse for a moment. Let's focus on you as a husband, as a wife. What's your character like? How are you shaping your character? Is your, are you trustworthy? Maybe some damage has been done in your relationship. You've lost some trust. You know, the good thing is you can always build trust back. It may take time, but you can build it back. You can repair character, and, it, and it's up to you to do that. But as we raise our kids, or if you're single and you're thinking someday you're going to marry somebody, I want to tell you something. Don't rush into it, all right? Check out their character first. See, see their resume. See how they've lived their life, how they've acted, how they've behaved friendship. Boy, we try to teach our kids about that, don't we? Those of us, how many of you are raising kids, all right? Not easy. Not easy, right? And what are we trying to tell our kids? Choose your friends wisely, right? And we need to explain to our kids, check out the character of those kids at school. What's their resume look like? How do they behave? How do they act? What do they do when nobody's watching? How do they handle a crisis? Choose well in character. Same thing is true in ministry. Same thing is true in business. Man, don't go into businessship. Don't go into business with somebody who doesn't have a good, solid, moral character. Someone very close to me that I love and, and care very much about went into business with another person with a promise of making a lot of money. 
And it was so obvious the person they're going to business with lacked character. Their resume was just one long list of failures and bad decisions and, and all kinds of other issues. And sure enough, they went into partnership with that person. And sure enough, that person left them high and dry. Emptied their bank account. And ruined their credit. Why? Because the person was anxious to make a dollar without really paying attention to the character. Oh, I've changed. I'm not like that anymore. Okay, I'll believe you, but I'm not going to believe you for a while. Because you gotta, you got to prove this to me. Character's huge. Character's important in partnership. Let's look at a second principle, another area that's really important. And that has to do with this whole issue of uh, complementary skills. What do I mean by complementary skills? What I mean by that is when you go into partnership with someone, you want, you want to be sure that, that they balance you out really well. They're good at what you're not good at, right? So you're not kind of competing with each other, but so that you're kind of working together. Paul is one guy who wants to take the gospel to the whole world by himself. He can't do the whole thing by himself. He doesn't have every gift, every capacity. There are some things he lacks in terms of resources and abilities, and he needs, he needs them to help complete him. And he needs to help complete them. You know, it's interesting. God calls us into partnership. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 or so that when we receive Christ, that Christ comes into our lives and Christ completes us. In other words, what that means is Christ makes us, he completes us and makes us acceptable to his Father. He makes us righteous in his Father's eyes. He makes us, uh, he makes us perfect before God. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Isn't that great? Remember, you're righteous, right? We talked about that a couple weekends ago, 95th. You guys remember that? You are righteous. Anybody try that yet? Look at someone and say, hey, I'm righteous. Still having a hard time with it, aren't you? has nothing to do with you. It's not what you do. It's the righteousness that God, God gives you because of his grace. Right? And it's a privilege. He completes us. And, you know, we kind of look at that and we go, okay, I, I can see how, how, how God does that for me. But, I mean, does God need me? Because if God needs you, then he's not God, is he? Does God need you? Well, the reality is God doesn't need you, but God is an, is an awesome God, and he still likes you to be part of what he's doing. I have four grandchildren, and my grandson Harrison, I just, you know, they're all specially unique, and he's just, he's so, he's so fun because he likes to work. At least when he comes to Grandma and Grandpa's house, he likes to work. And my wife, Marsha, grandma, takes advantage of that. And she kind of gets him involved in projects around the house. And, and especially when it's, it's nice outside. I, I came home a while back before the weather started. And Marsha was outside. She was turning bushes and stuff. And there he was right next to her. Like pulling stuff out and collecting things together. He was partnering with her. Now, did she need him to do that? No. Was he making more of a mess? Yes. <laughs> but you know what? I, it, she was just soaking up the fellowship. It was so much fun for her to work with him and, and for him to feel like he was contributing in his own way. 
That's what God does with us. God, you know, God says, I don't need you, but I just love letting you think that you're actually turning the wrench when it's really my strength. I, li- I just like seeing you get involved. I like working side by side with you. That's what's so cool about God, huh? He says, come and join me in this. I'll provide the work. I'll get it done. But I, but I want you to have the privilege of working next to me. It's just a whole different attitude, isn't it? To think about it that way. You know, the same thing is true in marriage. I thank God for my wife, Marcia. She's the best. And I'm telling you what, man, she makes up for so many weaknesses in my life. Like numbers and math and finances. Man, she's great at that. Thank God that she came into my life. I would be a mess without her. That's just one little area. She has Marcia's tremendous gift of faith. She's the kind of person that reads it in the Bible, believes it with her heart. I sit there and I go, I don't know if I can believe that or not. I mean, I, I, you know, I've got to rationalize. I've got to figure this whole thing out. It just comes so easy for her. But you know what? It's kind of cool how we, how we kind of need each other in that. Because I'm good in one aspect of asking the tough questions. She kind of helps fuel the faith part of it. And we work really well together. Same thing is true in friendship. You know, I've got friends like my, my buddy Ken here. Who's, he's got strengths and capacities. He's a wise, good business guy. He was able to talk to some of these people in Laos about business ventures that they could start and use there as a way to get the gospel out through some unique things they're doing there that the government will help them do. The communist government will help them do because it brings money in and gives them a cover then for the gospel. And the government doesn't even know what they're doing. But anyway... It just reminds me how God, you know, can use, you know, can just take entities that are against him and use them for him. But, you know, you wouldn't want me getting up there telling them how to run a business that way. Take somebody who understands business. It's a great, it's a great partnership. The same thing is true in ministry. You know, the Bible tells us we, we don't all have all the gifts, right? You know, some of us are in ear, some of us are in nose, some of us, you know, I mean, we're, we're all parts of the body. And when we come together and we partner together, it's a beautiful thing. When everybody brings their gifts set, when I watch the band up here and I watch Sheree and Brian and others singing, I thank God because if I was the one up here leading singing, it just wouldn't be pretty, okay? Well, it'd be pretty, but it'd be pretty ugly, okay? All right? Because, you know, everybody's got their gift. They bring it together. Same thing is true in business. Man, you know, if, if like, let's use the example of, of the church. What if I went out and, you know, hired a staff member who had a passion to be a senior pastor, had a passion to preach all the time? You know, I'd be fighting with them all the time. Because that's, that's the primary gift that God has given to me. So we got a great staff at the Compass Church, both our campuses, who complement each other, who have strengths and abilities that other ones don't. And that's what brings this beautiful symmetry together. That's how God intended it to be, and that's how God intended it to look. One One more aspect of partnership that becomes very, very important, and that is vision. Okay? Good partnerships have a shared vision. They're working toward the same thing. And Paul's vision is to bring the gospel to Spain and beyond. And he says to these believers in Rome, don't get focused on yourself. I want you to, I want you to consider being part of this great vision with me. Will you, will you break free from what has been accomplished? Will you look forward to what God still wants to do? Will you help me live on the frontier? 
I came across this quote the other day. Just, I, I just love it. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, Paul's vision always exceeds his horizon, compelling him to go wherever the gospel is unknown. His dreams are always greater than his memories. Memories can either anchor you to the past or thrust you forward to new challenges. I love that. Don't you? God is a God of momentum. God is a God of motion. God does not sit still. As Henry Blackaby says, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. God's always on the move because God has a huge vision. He's willing that none should perish. But what? All should come to repentance. God wants the world to change. And God wants us to be world changers individually and as a church. And I see so many churches that just don't want to change the world. They just want to be a comfortable country club. Ooh, I don't want to be a country club to you. I don't want to sit on my hands. I don't want to play a game. God says, join me. I got a vision to change the world. Will you be part of that vision? Paul says, that's what I'm all about. I could retire. I could sit back. I've been through the Roman Empire three different times. I've been beaten. I've been hurt. I put my time in. But Paul says, no way. I'm not retiring. What's retirement? I got to get to Spain. Will you help me get there? Will you go with me? Or will you just let the memories of the past kind of hold you back? And you see, a lot of times the reason we don't experience God's plan for us is because we just, uh, we just want to retire. We just want to slow down. We just want to be static. There's this commercial. I don't think it's on anymore. And I don't remember what company it's for, but it's this guy that looked kind of older. He's got the gray hair, the gray beard, and, and he's in his 60s or whatever, and he's talking about dreams. You know what I'm talking about, that commercial? He's talking about the future. He's talking about dreaming about the future, and I, I get excited about that. I feel, personally, I'm 53 young years, I feel like I am a kid still. I feel like the future the future ahead of me is, is huge. That's how I feel. I feel like the, the future is phenomenal. I can't wait to see what else God's going to do in my life. I have peers who are running around talking about, man, I hope I can retire in 10 years. They're like already thinking about winding down. I'm just winding up. How about you? How about the church? Are we going to wind down or are we going to wind up? I told Marcia the other day, talk about shared vision and marriage. I said, man, your life would be so dull if you hadn't married me. <laughs> well, it's cool. She goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Uh, but I thank God she, doesn't, she never steps back. I mean, it's the woman who jumped out of airplanes, right, with parachute. Uh, we share a common vision together. We both are committed to making a difference. We are both committed to living for the future, living Living until God calls us home. We don't think about retirement, that dirty word. Uh, friendship. Friendship. Man, you know, you got to make sure in your friendships you share a common vision about life, about the future. And ministry, a common vision. That's why you hear us talk about the mission. Compel people, embrace the call of Jesus. Come follow me. The vision. Life transformation here, near, and far. That's what it's all about. All right? Business. You gotta have a shared vision. You gotta wanna build the same widget together. You gotta wanna accomplish the same things together. If you're going in different directions, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You gotta be willing to partner together. And that's why a lot of people never experience, never, never experience the fullness. 
that God has intended for their lives. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I've made some pretty poor choices when it comes to partnership. I, I see, man, I wish somebody had provided this matrix for me a long time ago that I thought through character, I thought through complementary skills, I thought through a common vision with that person I married or that friendship I had or that ministry we went into or that business issue. But you know what? The past is the past. You've got to let it go. It's time to move into the future. It's time to say, okay, I learned from that. Now how do I make this better? How do I make better choices next time? Partnership is huge. Partnership is how God created us to function. Godly, good partnership. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Thank you so much for a man like the Apostle Paul who recognized the principle of partnership that you, in your very existence, O God, practice the harmony, the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, help us to practice partnership. Partnership with you, partnership with others. A partnership, Father, based on these God-given principles that you've established. Character, complementary skills, shared vision. And Lord, if there's something missing in our lives right now, if we're failing to experience the fullness of what you brought into our lives. Is it because, Lord, we've isolated ourselves? If so, God, forgive us. Forgive us. Help us make wise decisions about who to partner with to experience all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, amen. Let's all stand together and close in worship.